to the Lady Preacher Podcast, a podcast for the progressive Christian, where we talk about an all-loving God, an embodied Christ, and an ever-moving spirit. Dive right in as we wrestle with what it means to live out our faith in the world. Hello, my friend. Welcome to the Lady Preacher Podcast. This is your lovely host, Reverend Kelsey Beebe. Today, I'm really excited because we are kicking off an eight-week series. We're going to be looking at eight different parables by Jesus Christ, so short stories by Jesus. I'm really excited about this series because I get a lot of questions about how we should read the Bible. And I think parables are one of those things that can be really tricky, especially because they're told to a specific audience. And sometimes these things don't quite translate to us in our current context. And so it helps us when we can learn a little bit more about the context in which Jesus's followers would have been hearing these stories. I hope you enjoy this series. If you have a favorite parable, feel free to let us know. You can always visit our website at dancingpastor.org, send us a note, and or find us on Facebook at Dancing Pastor Ministries or on Instagram at Pastor Kelsey B. Okay, so let's dive in. We're going to read, this is from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. Jesus told this parable to certain people who had convinced themselves that they were righteous and who looked on everyone else with disgust. Two people went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed by himself with these words. God, I thank you that I'm not like everyone else. Crooks, evildoers, adulterers or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I receive. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He wouldn't even lift his eyes to look toward heaven. Rather, he struck his chest and said, God, show mercy to me, a sinner. I tell you, this person went down to his home justified rather than the Pharisee. All who lift themselves up will be brought low and those who make themselves low will be lifted up. Please pray with me. Beloved creator, some days we come to you in prayer like the Pharisee with gratitude for who we know ourselves to be with gratitude for what we have and the good that we have done in the world. And then other days we come to you like the tax collector, not even able to lift our eyes, perhaps feeling unworthy of being in your presence, aware of the sins we have committed. And God, whether we feel today like this Pharisee or this tax collector, remind us, God, that your grace and your mercy is wide enough for us all on our good days and our bad. In your holy name we pray. Amen. When you were in school, did you ever have group projects? You know, when your teacher assigns you to maybe a group of three or four and it's very rare when you get to choose your own group. Oftentimes the teacher will appoint you 
to a group. And I don't know about you, but I was one of those students who was often paired with another student who maybe wasn't quite as responsible in terms of getting their work done in a particular time frame. And so you're in this group of maybe three or four, and there's always one person, maybe two, who doesn't do the same amount of work as everybody else. And it would get really frustrating. Like even if you got an A on whatever project you're doing, it would always feel frustrating when there was at least one person who didn't do quite as much. And as I was thinking about this, I realized that, you know, I wonder how I made that person feel, you know, the person you were dreading being a part of your group. Did they see my face when our teacher said their name as part of our group? Did they see my eye roll? Did they see my disappointment or the shrug of my shoulders? How did I make them feel? Did I make them feel like maybe they weren't even worthy to be my partner in this group? Did I make them feel included? You know, did they see that look on my face and feel like, well, I might as well not even help because they clearly already have an idea of who I am. How did I treat them in that moment? And I bring this up because this can give us particular insight into this story about our tax collector and our Pharisee. I want you to think for a moment about who you tend to identify with in this story. Do you identify with the Pharisee who comes in and prays saying, thank goodness I'm not like those people who names the the good things that we have done and it sounds a little self-righteous. Do you identify with them? Or do you identify with the tax collector who comes in, can't even lift his eyes to the heavens, but beats his chest and says, have mercy on me, God, for I am a sinner. Who do you identify with in this story? Take a moment. Many of us tend to identify with the tax collector. But if we think about who these two characters are, the Pharisee and the tax collector in Jesus's time and how his followers would hear this story, it changes things. Because of our particular context and how we have been taught to think about Pharisees and tax collectors, it has deeply affected our way of hearing this story. Even in the Gospel of Luke, and we have to remember, this is a particular writer who's writing this gospel, telling their experience of Jesus from a particular lens, right? The Pharisees are often depicted as religious elite, that uh, they are hypocritical and kind of snobbish and self-righteous. And tax collectors are seen as, you know, society's outcasts and Jesus welcomes them in with open arms. And so you, you kind of feel sorry for them. And, and that's why we tend to generally identify with the tax collector in this story. However, those who would have heard this sitting at Jesus's feet and listening to him teach would have heard it very differently. Because the Pharisees in their time were really seen as truly righteous. Like these were the people who talked the talk and walked the walk. They were deeply respected as teachers. They had a great amount of influence. They're not a rabbi or the people in charge of the temple, but they are like a group of largely influential church folks, right? Like they're the, maybe the church council or um, the deacons. So they had a lot of say and and they were deeply respected by the people around them. And when we think about what the Pharisee was saying in this 
particular story, he's offering a prayer of gratitude, saying, thank you, God, for who I am. Thank you, God, that I am a Pharisee, that I have this particular position in the church that comes with a certain amount of responsibility. It wouldn't be too different than me saying, thank you, God, that I am a pastor. Or, you know, you hear people often say they thank God for their house. And embedded in that is this gratitude of, thank God, I am not homeless, right? There's a, there's a level of gratitude here that is happening. It does come off as, as judgmental when we read it in the text that, thank goodness, I'm not like these other people who are sinners. Because he also names, this is the good that I do. I, I give one-tenth of what I have and I fast twice a week. But the thing about the Pharisee that we know is from what we know about what is expected of incredibly devout Jewish folks is that he's going above and beyond, right? Like it is not a particularly normal thing for a Jewish person or a leader in that community to fast twice a week. That might be something you do on a, on a particular occasion, but to do it every week is kind of really going above and beyond what is being asked of this person. Even giving one-tenth of everything, you know, usually give um, one-tenth of a certain thing, but one-tenth of everything is, again, above and beyond. And so this particular Pharisee, it's a caricature that's important to remember. These are not actual people. This is Jesus telling a story to, to tell us something, to give us some insight into God and into ourselves and our world. And so that's, that's our Pharisee. This Pharisee is the prime example, like basically a saint. They do everything right. Held in the highest regard and deeply respected. But then we have our caricature of the tax collector. In Jesus's world, the way his listeners would understand the tax collectors, this person is incredibly corrupt. They are an agent of the state or of the government. You know, think of the jokes people make about the IRS, right? It's kind of like that. This person is seen as a traitor. They are incredibly wealthy and generally well-connected. They are someone who has generally shown no mercy to others. They have gotten wealthy off of the backs of other people. It makes me think of, um, if you've ever seen the movie Robin Hood, and there's the tax collector character that no nobody likes, who collects the money for King John as he gets incredibly wealthy, right? So he is someone who shows absolutely no mercy and gets wealthy off of taking advantage of regular people, everyday people, and especially the poor. And so for him to come into the temple, right, we would expect to see the Pharisee in the temple, but we wouldn't necessarily expect to see the tax collector in this temple. And he wouldn't necessarily even feel welcome there, which is probably why he's standing far off, right? Because he has taken advantage of all these folks who will likely be in this temple with him. And so they might be giving him a little side eye, right? He might not feel incredibly welcome. It's kind of brave of him to show up in this space. And so when we think about who we identify with in this story, we have to be careful. We have to really understand who these two people are in Jesus's world, in the world of his listeners. And the particular punch of this parable is in verse 14. In verse 14, Jesus says, after telling the prayers that each one of these gentlemen has said, Jesus says, I tell you, this person, meaning the tax collector, this person went down to his home justified rather than the Pharisee. And the interesting thing about this particular verse, this phrase that Jesus says, 
is uh, Dr. Amy Gillivine, who I told you about, and other scholars have explained that the phrase translated as, quote, rather than, can also, and maybe even perhaps more accurately, be translated to the word alongside. So I tell you, the tax collector went to his home justified alongside the Pharisee. So they are both justified, meaning they are both forgiven. God has heard both of their prayers and they have both been received with grace. They are both justified. And so that's, that's the crux of this particular parable is Jesus is telling us something about God here, that God's grace is wide enough, abundant enough for both the Pharisee and the tax collector. Both the guy who is practically a saint and the guy who regularly takes advantage of his own people. And we struggle with that, don't we? As Christians and as people, right? It is hard for us to understand that there is grace enough for who we know ourselves to be, hopefully as a good person, and the person who we judge negatively. I think that's why the idea of hell is so appealing because it gives us a place to put those people, right? Those other people. It gives us a a place to put them. Well, at least I'm going to heaven, but you know, they're going to go to that place. And this particular parable really challenges that. It gives us this notion that God's grace is wide enough and that we don't even know, you guys, if this tax collector is sincere in his prayer. Do we know that he's really feeling sincere and asking God for forgiveness? I mean, it seems like it. He's beating his chest and saying, have mercy on me for I am a sinner. But how do we know he's not just going to leave the temple and go right back on out collecting people's taxes? How do we know he's not going to change from being so corrupt, overcharging people on their taxes just to gain wealth for himself? How do we know he's not just going to keep on sinning? Is he actually sincere? And the thing is, is we don't know. We don't know. All we know from this story from Jesus is that he has been forgiven alongside the Pharisee, that God's grace is wide enough for them both. But we can take this even one step further. Amy Jill Levine explained in her book that the phrase that has been generally translated to rather than and now to her other translation of alongside can also be translated to the phrase because of. So then it would read, I tell you, this person went down to his home justified because of the Pharisee. So this tax collector, this very corrupt man is justified and forgiven because of the Pharisee. Hmm. This Pharisee was so good. Remember, I talked about how he's gone above and beyond in his practices. He was so good that his righteousness even extended to the person next to him, essentially covering the sins of the person next to him. To understand this, we have to understand Judaism as a community that believes it is so interconnected and interwoven that each person in that community is responsible for the other. The good actions and the bad actions of each individual person affects the whole. 
And we have to understand that it wasn't about works righteousness. It wasn't about, I do these things so I can get into heaven. In Judaism, it's, we do these good things because we believe we are in this covenant with God. That our part of upholding this covenant with God is to do good and be righteous in this world and righteous in a good way. And so as Amy Jill Levine put it, she says, just as one person's sin can create a stain on the entire community, so one person's righteousness can save it. They're so intertwined that they deeply affect one another. It makes me think of the story of Abraham when Abraham is bargaining with God, when God says God is going to destroy a city. And Abraham goes to God and says, God, if there are 50 good people in that city, will you save them? And God says, sure, Abraham, for 50 good people, I will save this city. And Abraham says, well, God, if there are 40 good people in that city, perhaps in the city of thousands, we don't know. If there are 40 good people, will you save that city? And God says, yes, Abraham, for 40 people who are good, I will save that city. And Abraham comes back and he says, not to be so bold, God, but if there are 25 good people, would you save this city? And God says, yes. And Abraham bargains it all the way down and saves this city all the way down to one for one good person. And that should trigger your memory of Jesus. One person's goodness and righteousness saves us all. The goodness and righteousness of one, Jesus Christ, saves us all. His goodness and grace so what saves the rest of us. We are human, right? We know that we sin. We know that we miss the mark, but it is Jesus and his goodness and grace. He is the one, right? So this tax collector is redeemed because of the Pharisee, because the Pharisee has done the work of upholding the end of the community's covenant with God, because they are so intertwined and interconnected, they are within this covenant together. And so the Pharisee and the righteousness that he has done, the good he has done in the world is helping to redeem his neighbor. And that's what brings us to that middle school group project. And Amy Jill Levine talks about this in her book. She offers this example. There are those in the group who worked hard and then the one who didn't, but they all got an A in the end. And it was because of the work that those few did and the one didn't, that that's why they got an A. And we have a really hard time with this, especially in the United States, because we're so individualistic, right? I pulled myself up by my bootstraps and so should they. But Jesus is really flipping this on its head, reminding us that we are interconnected, that we are responsible for one another, that we belong to each other, that as a community, we either rise together or fall together. We are responsible for one another. And we belong to each other. And so with that group project, I could either hold a grudge 
against this one person, or I could celebrate that we all got an A. One feels a lot lighter and a lot better, doesn't it? And so rather than thinking, thank God I'm not like them, perhaps we need to thank God that we have each other in the first place. Thank God that when I do good, it maybe inspires you to lift good. Maybe it inspires you to do good. Perhaps we can thank God that when I need rest, I can trust you to step up and fill in. Thank God when I am really struggling, there's someone else there who can help pick up my slack. Thank God that we have each other. Thank God that we are justified alongside of and because of one another. And thank God for Jesus Christ, who is the one whose goodness and righteousness has saved us all. And we can celebrate that. We can celebrate the fact that God's grace and love and goodness and mercy is wide enough for each and every one of us on our worst days and our best days. God's grace is wide enough for us all. And that abundance is very good news. Amen. My friend, thank you so much for joining us today. I am so grateful for you. Without you, this ministry would not be possible. So thank you from the bottom of my heart. The Lady Preacher podcast is part of a nonprofit called Dancing Pastor Ministries. And you can find us online at dancingpastor.org or join the community by finding us on Facebook at Dancing Pastor Ministries. If you would like to be a part of supporting this podcast, there are many ways you can do that without giving monetarily. You can share our posts on social media, send an episode to a friend, or just leave a review. If you would like to support us financially, you can do so at dancingpastor.org slash give. My friend, you are a gift. Thank you for being here and God bless.